Hey, and welcome back to Father Time. We're glad to be getting underway with another season. I'm Scott Kane here with Chase Green and Matt McBrayer. Hey, guys. This is a podcast that's by fathers for fathers. And the goal is to help each of us, each of you, to be the fathers, the spiritual leaders that our homes need. Now, last season, we covered basic themes, getting started with a family Bible time, the power of a dad's influence and the importance of making the most of it. We looked at some principles, practical tips for investing the necessary time to have a family Bible time. We looked at some major hurdles, pitfalls and obstacles that a family might face and some pointers getting past them and the importance of a dad having a heart that loves God's word and is excited about God's word. Because when dad is excited about God's word, it's a whole lot easier to teach it and share it. Now, each of these topics that we covered last season is vital to a family Bible time. And those topics are so important that there's a good chance we're going to hit on some of the same ideas a few times as we move forward with this season. But at the same time, we want to press forward and we want to keep challenging all of us to keep growing as leaders in the home. Now, our theme for this season is where are all the godly men? Specifically, where are the faithful fathers and husbands who step up to the task of leading their homes? Chase, why is this question so vital? Well, I think you just have to take a look around. And uh, we look around at the not only the world around us, but even in the Lord's church, sadly. And we just don't see a lot of it taking place. We don't see a lot of fathers stepping up as they should. And uh, sometimes there's no spiritual leadership really in the home at all. Sometimes there is some leadership going on, but it's not the father. It's the mother that is the leader in the home. And that's not God's design. Uh, God's design is for men, uh, husbands, fathers to step up and fulfill that leadership role. And uh, we want to encourage men to to do that. You know, the Bible talks about the idea of commanding one's family. And uh, that's a commandment for us as fathers, as husbands. And so it's very important for us to make sure and take that seriously and do what we can to uh, lead our our wives and our, our children to heaven. Very good. You know, we, we think about some of the influences that we've had on ourselves as fathers. And for a while, society has been depicting dads as uh, bumbling idiots on television series and programs. And it seems like some of that mindset has really infected a lot of fathers mentalities and, and it has to be overcome. So your point is absolutely right. We've got a job to do. Uh, Matt, here's a question. While it seems that there's a, a famine of faithful followers uh, of fathers, what are the chances that there are actually thousands of Christian dads out there that are really only a decision away from being the godly leaders their families need? Yeah, I think that's uh, probably a pretty good prospect because uh, you think about uh, really, you know, society in at large is, um, you know, getting pretty rough as far as moral values are concerned. It's always been pretty bad, but, um, you know, you think about some of the more modern things that we're dealing with as far as um, these uh, LGBTQ, you know, movements and things. And it has a lot of people just kind of up in arms in, in society. And I think people are waking up in society. And I think that also has a kind of a reaction to when you see, 
you know, Christian fathers in the home. I mean, partially, I think sometimes we don't even think about things, you know, we kind of go, well, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And sometimes we just don't even realize that something's broken. And, um, you know, so I think that uh, it's possible some guys just, um, they don't, they haven't ever thought of it. Uh, they've never thought, oh, I should, I should do this every night or anything like that. Uh, but another thing is, is I think that as, um, we look at the religious world, uh, much in the same way that we look at the secular world, uh, I think there's a time of just, uh, waking up and trying to do things better. And, uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of guys out there that maybe might even stumble upon, uh, the podcast here. And go, man, I've never thought about that. I need to do that. This is something that we need to do. And, and you know, we uh, we all uh, can do a better job at whatever we're doing. Uh, always room for improvement. But, man, you know, a good Bible time is something, uh, a good place to start with your kids and your and your wife. And, and to be doing this together is, uh, is just a fantastic thing. You know, our theme this season is where are all the godly men? And face the facts, every child needs a hero. And face the facts, every man really wants to be a hero, especially to his family. When it comes down to it, real heroes don't actually derive from radioactive spider bites. They don't come from super soldier serums or some genius billionaire inventing gadgets. A super suit's not going to do it. Real godly heroes start with a trust in God, and they're real men who truly trust the Lord. Scripture gives us example after example of heroes who stepped up to the plate. And our goal this season is to look at some of the heroes of faith that can really serve as examples for us as dads. Perhaps the best place to find some of those heroes of faith is to go to what's often called Faith's Hall of Fame or the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11. Now, some of the names that we're going to discuss this season, the men are specifically named in Hebrews 11, while others are referenced, but their names aren't given. Some are fathers. Some aren't described or depicted as fathers, but there's still lessons to learn from them. All of the men we're going to discuss this season are heroes. And as the Hebrews writer put it, Hebrews eleven sixteen, God is not ashamed to be their God. Now, that's a description that each of us ought to want for himself. Since we're talking about faithful fathers, let's get started with Abraham. Hebrews 11 commits 12 verses to discussing Abraham. There are only 40 verses in the chapter. Almost a third of faith's hall of fame focuses on Abraham. You might call him the the earliest uh, key exhibit in faith's hall of fame. This is the man that Paul would call the father of the faithful or the father of them that believed. uh, uh, Romans 4.11. Dads, if Abraham can be called the father of the faithful, If he can be a feature exhibit in Faith's Hall of Fame, there is hope for every one of us. The first time we're introduced to Abraham is at the end of Genesis 11. He's called Abram. He's the son of Terah. And although Genesis 11 doesn't discuss his family's religious background, Joshua 24.2 does. Now, Matt, Joshua 24.2 speaks of the idea that they served other gods. How does this really shed more light on Abram's background and a second part to the question, could this detail be encouraging for Christian dads today? 
Yeah, absolutely. Let me take a couple minutes here. Uh, so Joshua said to all the people, this is the verse that we're referencing. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in the old times, and they served other gods. So, you know, this is, I think, really a really cool thought for us to think about is Abram didn't have a good role model in this regard. Um, maybe his father did other stuff right coincidentally, but when it came to following God, he fell short, you know, serving other gods, you know, really has a wide range of connotations, uh, throughout the Bible. Now, you know, specifically, we don't know exactly, uh, what, you know, Abram's father was doing exactly, but let me just give some wide examples here of things that happened under serving false deities, um, there's physical mutilation to appease gods, uh, human sacrifice and harlotry. All of this stuff is just wicked, bad stuff. And there's no telling what Abram's father was doing specifically. But we know this. It wasn't right. Abram uh, went where his dad didn't go. And I think that we can, too. You know, maybe you didn't have a Christian father. Uh, or maybe you didn't have a good example in a father uh, that doesn't have to predict your future. You know, it very well could, but it doesn't have to. You have to make the choice to not do what your dad did. And so every father needs to lead his family to heaven. And you can be that father. You can tread new ground just like Abram did. He didn't know where he was going. God just told him to go. And that's what he did. And so if you've left a false religion of some kind to come to the church, this is probably pretty daunting at first glance. But just remember this, uh, your kids, especially if they're younger, they're probably just going to follow your lead. And so just lead them. Just start leading them. That's the main point. I mean, um, you may not have had a great example and you may go, oh, I don't know what to do. Well, just start. That's really where you got to go is you just got to start. Yeah, the, the uh, your children are going to eat it up. They're, they want your attention. They crave your attention as a father, and they crave their mother's attention as well. But we as fathers, we need to step up and, and give them the spiritual training kind of attention that they desperately need. And, you know, you might come from, you know, some of our listeners might come from a background of maybe denominationalism or other false religion. A lot of them, let's be honest, with uh, the increasing rates of, no religion today, right? There may be some that are coming from a background of, well, they, they weren't religious previously, but now they're stepping up and, and they're Christians and they're trying to get off on, on the right foot. And again, it's so crucial to spend time in God's word with our families. And so, um, you know, you think about how Abram's uh, ancestors were not uh, on on God's side. And I think about how Today, uh, many of us, we might not have had the best example from our fathers or our grandfathers or what have you, but we can we can start off on the right foot for our families. Great points, guys. And yes, someone has to take the first step when, when a family is absorbed in a religion that is not truly following God. Someone has to decide I'm, I'm going to make the change. I'm going to do it right. And who knows how long Abram had actually followed in his father's footsteps before he decided he's going to follow the, the true and living God. And if if he can make the change, you know, Matt said there comes a time you just have to start. There's a, a quote from Zig Ziglar, not that I endorse everything that ever came out of his mouth, but uh, there's a quote from him. You don't have to 
be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Well, you don't have to be good at anything when you get started, but if you're going to be good at it, you have to start. And that applies to this as well. So we talk about Abraham. And when we're first introduced to him and his family's background, it's not the most impressive in the world. By the time we get to the end of Genesis 11, Abram has left his home in Ur of the Chaldees, but he takes his father, Terah, with him. In fact, Terah leaves and Abraham is with him. They're traveling to Canaan, which is where God had told Abram to go. But Abram stops to dwell in Haran. Now, Chase, we take a look at Acts 7, 2 through 4, and Stephen would actually shed some light on Abram's travels that we might miss in when we read Genesis. How fully did Abraham initially follow God's instructions? Yeah, so um, I actually spent quite a bit of time on this particular question. Um, I'll go read Acts chapter 7 for just a minute. It says, uh, verses 2 through 4, And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. So clearly there was a stopping point. So I kind of, uh, I looked at a lot of commentaries there in Acts and then back in Genesis. And I found something in Genesis 11, verse 32 this is from Barnes Notes. Again, can't uh, endorse everything from Barnes Notes on the Bible, but uh, the commentary uh, Barnes Notes on Genesis eleven thirty two, which talks about the death of Terah, it uh, provides some math on this regarding the different ages involved. And uh, math is not my strong suit, and I kind of, kind of tried to figure it all out in my head. And I'm like, well, I guess maybe these guys know what they're talking about on on the math of all of this, but. Basically, they calculate a period of about five years that Abram waited uh, in Haran, uh, and then Terah ends up uh, passing away, and and so then it goes onward. But uh, they postulate in that particular commentary that maybe Terah's health had been declining, and and maybe that was the reason for the stopping point, Uh, maybe some other motivations involved. Maybe they're just visiting family members. Really. Don't know. We can't really speak definitively, I don't think, as to the why for the uh, the stop in Haran. But the bottom line is that there was a delay. And uh, sometimes we do delay in obedience. And what we need to realize is we need to come to a decision. And that's kind of what we talked about with the previous question. We have to have a starting point. Uh, we don't need to delay. And so if anybody maybe has been kind of casually listening to the different things we've discussed on father time, going back to season one and and going into this season and kind of maybe playing around with the idea of, yeah, I really need to study the Bible with my, my wife and my children. Go ahead and decide to act again. We want to impress upon you the importance of acting. Don't delay, you know, don't spend the five years in Haran, so to speak, go ahead and act now and your family will be better off for it. Matt, anything you'd add to that? And uh, that's really good stuff. I, I I think that, you know, we're just still on the same track here. You know, you got to start somewhere and um, obviously don't delay. You know, um, hesitation is always um, just going to be, um, well, I'll say always. Most of the time, it's a really bad thing. You know, you mm-hmm. you 
hesitate. Um, think about all the guys that have, um, you know, talking about heroes, think about uh, all the guys that have uh, been in an active shooter situation and they, they take action. Um, we're thankful for those guys and um, what they hesitated, you know? Yeah. So we can't hesitate. We've got to, we got to move forward. So yeah, good think, stuff. Think, think about it this way. Let's, let's use the five years. And again, I'm not hundred percent certain on the calculation, but there's people smarter than me with math. So, but let's say five years, uh, let's say you have a 13 year old and you're kind of oh, hesitating and you take five years and you don't commit to something like this. They're going to be 18 five years later. And then where will they be spiritually? So don't yeah. hesitate. Act now. Yeah. And that five years is really huge. You know, 13 to 18 uh, is we think about the amount of maturity and change that takes place and the amount of uh, setting a mind in a certain direction that happens during those developmental teenage years. But it's really true uh, at any age gap, whether you're talking about age three to eight, eight to 13, 13 to 18 or any other uh, range in between. Those five years are huge. And, And when it comes down to it, you think about you know, while we're discussing with Abram, when God first called him, he was in Mesopotamia or he was at the place where we first introduced to him. And the fact that he has that delay is there, not only is reflective on us and our tendency to want to delay, to want to make sure we're right, and really to want to spend a bit more time with family. Abram may well have had a hard time leaving daddy's religion that could have played into the motives, whatever the case that delay cost him five years, five huge years. And if it costs us the same thing with our children, we can't get that back. Um, in thinking about this and talking about Abram, we've got a man who starts off in a family of idolaters. When God calls him, he, he goes halfway initially. By the time we get into Genesis 12, Abram has eventually done what God said. He, he moves to Canaan. God promises to give him all the land of Canaan, or at least give it to his descendants, Genesis 12, 7. Abram camps in a few spots. He builds some altars. He worships God. But then a famine comes into the land. And the land that God has promised to Abram, Abram abandons and he runs to Egypt. Now, Matt, thinking about all of this scene, once he got to Egypt, what did Abram do that showed that he really feared men more than he trusted God's promise? All right, so Genesis 12, uh, verses 11 through 13, uh, talks about the fact that when he gets to Egypt, he is afraid that the men are going to kill him and steal his wife because she's very beautiful. And so he's like, just say that, you know, <laughs> just say that you're my sister, uh, that it will be well for me for, for your sake and that I will live because of you. That's like, that's what he says there. But, um, you know, this is okay. So we got to take a step back and realize that we have something that Abram didn't have. And that is that we have the word of God um, in, in its entirety here. And so we've got something he didn't have. Um, but man, this is so frustrating, isn't it? It is so frustrating. I, I, oh, this one boggles my mind a little bit. Um, and I've never really gotten a really good grasp here, but you know, see, here's the really disappointing part is that he knows his wife is beautiful and he's afraid men are going to kill him because of her. But the underlying fact here is he's not putting his trust in God. I mean, 
like this is the same chapter that we get the seed promise. And so all of the earth is going to be blessed by Abraham. But, oh, no, God can't keep you safe from a few men, you know, like, oh, like, I don't, you know, it's kind of it's kind of frustrating to think about it. But he doesn't trust God enough here to expect him to fulfill his promises. And granted, you know, this is somewhat earlier on. um, But, you know, really, I mean, he just got the seed promise. Like, he's got to know that God's going to fulfill it. And as time goes on, I think he realizes that more and more. Um, but there's a lot of mistakes along the way. And this is a big one. And you step, you step back and think about it. And while he didn't have the word of God in its entirety, they did still have the instruction from God that had gone throughout the nations. Uh, right. God's influence from the time of Adam and then through Noah was still seen, as Paul would describe it, it's seen in their consciences. Uh, God's instruction was still a part of societies to whatever extent they would accept it. And the Egyptians had accepted some of it because uh, the king of Egypt speaks to Abram and says, this is wrong. Uh, They recognize that this behavior with his wife was wrong. So needless to say, what Abram did was recognized as not the way a husband ought to act. Chase, we think about those facts. Ultimately, Abram, motivated by fear, took his responsibilities as a husband. How would you say that he had he had lived up to the role of a husband here? Well, he abandoned his role. He uh, he let fear cause him to abandon abandon his uh, necessary task of protecting her and leading her. Uh, he wanted to save his own skin, and so. He just turned her over to these guys and, you know, no telling what could have happened to her. Uh, of course, if, if God's providence had not intervened on her behalf and, and of course, uh, the Egyptian Pharaoh and later another King, same scenario, uh, they end up turning Sarai back over to him, thankfully. But, you know, it's just like, uh, Matt was saying, it's mind boggling that, uh, Abram, you know, who, is characterized as a faithful man and he is, he does have a process of grow, growing faith through these experiences. But at this point he was so fearful that uh, he would turn over his wife to, to these other men. It's just, it is mind boggling. Like uh, Matt said, you know, you stop and you think about the extent of this, this transgression. I mean, not only is there a lie involved, but he's essentially allowing his wife to be, a candidate for another man's bed just because he's trying to save his own hide and ultimately not trusting God to keep a promise. I'm afraid they're going to kill me. Well, God can't spare you. But all that being said, you know, are there dads out there today who have indiscretions in their past, who have mistakes they've made, maybe in the way they've treated their wives or maybe in the way they haven't treated their wives, but interacted with others. Uh, When we look at Abram and these marital indiscretions here, any help for that with dads today who are afraid to teach their children because of mistakes they've made in the past? Man, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, in this whole scenario, I just think, man up, like for real. Like I just I can't get past this. I mean, I think I've like tried to put myself in this scenario and I'm like, man, you know, like I think a lot of guys would have, you know, been on their knees ready to like be killed 
And I think a lot of guys have been like, uh, no, you're not going to have my wife. You know, matter of fact, I'm going to get up from here. I'm going to take as many down with me as I can. Okay. You know, this is not, you know, this is, I don't know that this is normal behavior for a man. I just don't think it is, but he is so afraid. Um, even though he's got God on his side, but you know, when you come back and you take that same thought process, man up, man, we've got to, we've got to do this for our family. It really doesn't matter if we have done anything wrong in the past, go ahead and use that, use that, that you've done something like, you're not perfect. That's fine. Go ahead and, and do what you can and lead your family to heaven. You know, you just gotta just man up. Chase, anything you'd add? Uh, he's exactly right. Um, you know, being called as a man, um, as a father, as a husband, what comes with the territory is sometimes we have to make decisions. We have to say, hey, look, our family's going to stand for this. And there's no room for fear uh, getting in the way of the courage that it takes to make the right decisions for our family. You step back and look at the condition of Abram and his family as they left from Egypt. And it really shows how good God is because Abram didn't make any wise decisions in Egypt, but they still left blessed. They left more prosperous than they were when they went. And that's because of how gracious and generous God was to Abram, not because of anything Abram had done. And there are times that dads have to face the fact that sometimes there are mistakes that they make, problems that they brought on themselves that even blessings can come out of those. There are dads in the church who have children in their homes that aren't the children of their wives, but children of a relationship that never should have happened. But Psalm 127, children are in a heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Even when there are those mistakes in the past, there are, are blessings that God can give from those mistakes that we can still use as motivation to move forward. So, yeah, there's a lot to to glean from Abram here. We want to keep moving forward with his life. We think about this. God kept other men's hands off of Sarah when Abram was too afraid to act like a husband. God later helped Abram defeat these kings from the east that came and took Lot and the people where Lot lived captive. That's Genesis 14. And then God reiterates his promise and makes a covenant with Abram, Genesis 15. All this. But after 10 years of being in the land of Canaan and that general area, Sarah gets impatient and she comes to Abraham with an alternative method of having a baby. Chase, by the time we get to Genesis 16, instead of waiting on God to keep his promise, what plan did Abram and Sarah concoct and what impact did it have on their home? Yeah, so uh, Genesis 16 verses 1 through 4, it says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram uh, heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went in to, to uh, Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. And you can keep reading and just bad blood right from the get-go, so to speak, there between Hagar and Sarai and uh, the child who was within Hagar, of course, Ishmael. And he ends up being the father of the uh, the Arabic nations. And to this day, 
there's still the family drama. There's still the bad blood between the Arab nations and uh, the the other descendants of Abraham, uh, the Jews, even to this day. Uh, sometimes I, I preach a sermon called Family Drama, and I'll talk about decisions that families in the Bible make, and then there's lasting consequences, uh, bad consequences for those decisions. And that's one of them uh, between uh, Ishmael and uh and what goes on there and in the descendants of, of uh, Isaac. So, um, you know, you think about how there is tremendous pressure today to want to conform to our will instead of God's will. You know, you look around at society today and it's all about, you know, I want to do what I want to do. It's, it's not what uh, the Lord would have us to do. It's what the world would have us to do. And, we as fathers, there's going to be all kinds of decision points that we have to make for our families, you know, decisions about school and sports and are, are our kids going to have a cell phone or not and uh, the clothing that they wear and, and even, you know, church youth group activities and, and different things that we as fathers have to make decisions about. We have to man up sometimes. We have to act and say, you know what? The answer is no. This time the answer is yes. Um, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We have to make those decisions, regardless of whatever pressures might be around us to try to conform to the ways of the world. Uh, the pressure in in the situation with uh, Hagar and and everything that underwent there was uh, well, we just we don't see how God's going to work this out uh, like He said He would. So I guess we'll do it our way. No, we don't need to do it our way. We need to do it the Lord's way. Great points. Matt, let's let's take this situation and let's hone in on a very specific detail of it. Is there any lesson here for dads who specifically have listened to bad advice from their wives? Yeah, I think number one is don't look down on her. You know, we've all received bad advice, not necessarily from our wives, but we've just received bad advice. The important thing uh, that a husband's going to need to do is to lead. And so uh, another thing is anytime you get advice from anyone, you need to check it with the scriptures. I mean, that would have been a good thing, you know, here. Uh, Psalm 1-1, you know, uh, the blessed man's not going to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Uh, so you got to check what advice you get and um, compare it to scriptures. I know a lot of people like the self-help books. I mean, I like self-help books. I like uh, seeing what new stuff is uh, being researched and how that might affect some things I'm doing. Um, but you've still got to make sure that the self-help is going along with God's word. Um, and so I know several brethren that just aren't doing that. They're coming away with um, some bad ideas. Uh, so we may get ungodly advice from people, but we still need to check with the scriptures. Also uh, in leading, um, we need to help. Uh, our wives to see an error uh, if they can't see it. Um, but then here, here's another thing that I, I think um, is important too. You still need to listen to her though. I mean, she's got valuable insight. And even if she was wrong one time, you know, don't hold that against her and still listen to her. And again, check those things with scripture. I think that's um, uh Part of the problem that we see uh, in, um, uh, I, th I think I've seen this more in the church, really, I guess, but um, 
where husbands go, well, you know what, I'm the man, I'm going to be in charge here. I'm going to do everything. And well, you know what, um, you can be a tyrant in the home and, um, but you won't be leading your family to heaven that way. Um, we've got to uh, still listen to our wives. Now, ultimately you need to make the decision because you're the head of the household, but, um, listen, listen to her. So don't look down on her, help her to see her error, check, check with the scriptures, making sure everything's good and uh, continue to listen because she may, um, I have found that my wife in particular helps me uh, in the compassion category. You know, I, I, I'm like, well done, you know, decision made, you know, that was easy. And then my wife's like, well, wait a second. And I'm like, oh yeah, that, mm -hmm, yeah, you're let me, let me rethink my actions here. And so, um, she's a help meet for a reason. She is to help us. Yeah. yeah. I, I was going to add to that if I can real quick. Um, God designed uh, males and females surprisingly very different differently. Right. So there are some things that, that our wives are going to be in tune with that not really on our radar. Right. They've got that nurturing aspect. They've got the emotional being in tune that we don't necessarily have as much. And, and we've got some things that they don't have. We're able to come to those. All right, this is our decision. You know, we're we're coming to a decision. We we've thought this through, and uh, we've got to act. That's how we naturally are bent, and and God designed us that way. And we need both, and we need to make sure and and come together as a husband and wife team, and and uh, take advantage of both of our natures as men, and and theirs as as ladies, for the betterment of our families. Great points, guys. Uh, something that comes to mind when we think about Abram, I can't help but go all the way back to the garden and think about Adam, because Paul pointed out that the woman was uh, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. According to Genesis three six, she took of the fruit, she ate thereof, she gave to her husband with her. He was right there. He didn't say anything. He wasn't deceived. In other words, he stood there and let her eat of it because he was interested in getting some of this fruit too. Uh, the, the temptation that the serpent brought to Eve was actually something that was interesting to Abram, uh, to Adam rather. I can't help but wonder if some of a similar mentality might not be the case with Abram. When his wife, Sarah, comes to him at age 75 and tells this 85-year-old man, hey, why don't you have a child with this presumably teenage or early 20s Hagar? How much of Abram was just focused on lust of the flesh and a desire there that uh, ungodly in and of itself? Uh, and yeah, that's it. same thing can happen today when, when men will blame their wives for a suggestion when it's what the guy wanted to do the whole time. Uh, but when yeah. you've got a guy, a, a man that's worth his salt, a husband that's truly being a husband, even when the wife's advice or desire is not the the best route, how often is it that a man wakes up in the morning and says, "You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna see how I can upset my wife today. I'm gonna see what decision I can make that's gonna gonna make her angry." I don't know a wise man in the world that wants to do that when we talk about how husbands treat their wives and it's important for wives to appreciate this too. Any good man is inclined to make decisions that are to the benefit of the wife, but he also, you know, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. He, he takes that in mind as well. So that's a, a consideration that everyone needs to, to keep at the forefront is that, you know, dads, husbands are desirous to, 
to have happy wives. And if they're willing to make a decision that's contrary to the wife's inclination, then it's. I think we lost Scott. Yeah. Okay. Um, he'll probably come back in shortly, hopefully. Um, must be uh, internet issues in Memphis. I guess so. Yeah. So, uh, Matt, what do you think? Uh, I guess we'll keep going and, until hopefully he can hop back in. Um, well, uh, I kind of think that, um, you know, the, the point that, you know, he was making, uh, as far as, you know, um, the, the lessons learned here from Abram, he is, uh, a man that's following God and, well, he's out altogether now, isn't he? Yeah, I'm going to try to re-invite him. Keep talking. Okay, okay. We'll get him. Um, um, anyway, uh, here, let me just take a take a hard break and go right into this. All right, so uh, Abraham could have been called the father of the faithless. You know, he served other gods. You know, he's uh, fickle, you know, um, followed God halfway. Um, he's fearful of the Egyptians. You know, it's forceful. Uh, tried to force God's promise instead of waiting on God. Uh, yet Paul calls him the father of all that believe in Romans 4.11. So even while Abraham was uh, still messing up and learning and growing, God was willing to count uh, Abram as righteous because of Abram's faith in God. Um, so you know, this is this is something that, that we need to uh, kind of ask. Uh, on the basis of Abram's relationship with God, was it Abram's upstanding moral fiber or was it, you know, his trust and faith or in God? And of course, you know, that the answer to that is pretty simple. Um, we we we've got to know that, you know, he is not perfect here. You know, it's not his moral upstanding, you know, fiber here, uh, but it's his trust in God. Uh, I was at a Bible camp recently where uh, we. Um, we talked about this very subject uh, with other people because other people are mentioned in the hall of faith and yet they make some pretty big mistakes. And so uh, the end result is uh, that, you know, the hall of faith is looking at the times of faith and uh, they're when they're following faithfully, they make mistakes, but they do, uh, they do follow faithfully here. Now, um, the the point that we need to make with his relationship with God is, you know, uh, Abram or Abraham makes a lot of mistakes and we're all going to make mistakes. Uh, I tell people from time to time, uh, there's a, a phrase that I, I use quite a bit. I, I got it from, um, uh, I think Michael Hyatt is the person I got it from. He's a, a time management guru, um, had a, had, has a pretty successful podcast, but anyway, uh, he, uh, I tell people from time to time that, uh, sometimes done is better than perfect. Um, because, you know, really we tend to be perfectionists and we want to get everything right. Uh, but if we do that, we will never get started because we will never be perfect. And so sometimes done is better than perfect. And so, um, you know, because Abraham uh, counted on his uh, faith in God to keep his promises, uh, God could count on Abraham to follow God's righteousness. So God was so certain 
that uh, he could count on Abram that, uh, that later, as God prepared to visit Sodom, he asked whether he should keep secrets from Abraham in, in Genesis 18, 17. And so, uh, Chase, as flawed as Abraham had been, what did God know Abraham would do with his household? Hey, he's back. Hey. Uh, good to be back. <laughs> Scott's I, did, back. I was abducted by aliens, but they didn't oh, no. want me. Yeah. Well. Oh man. Well, I'm glad they didn't watch you. That's good. <laughs> we uh, we thought maybe Memphis was having a massive uh, internet out outage or something. Uh, who knows, man? It it comes and goes. <laughs> I apologize for that. That that's okay. Uh, so uh, let's see. Where were you? Where did you lead into the uh, outline, Matt? I as flawed I, as Abraham had been. Yeah, what so I got down to um, uh, that section down there where you're about to answer. Okay. So uh, what did God know Abraham would do with his household? So I'm going to read uh, Genesis 18, verse 19. It says that, uh, for I have known him, God says, in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So Abraham would command his household in such a way that they would keep the way of the Lord. You know, it's, it's the mindset, if you will, of Abraham saying something like this, you know, God has selected our family to be his chosen people and we're going to act like it. You know, we're, we're going, I'm going to command this family to act the way we're supposed to, as God has chosen us to to bring in this nation, which ultimately would bring in, you know, the Messiah of the world. So again, it comes back to decisiveness. It comes back to um, being on mission, if you will, and uh, kind of a, mil- a military kind of term in commanding. That's what we have to do with our families. We have to command them. So Scott, you want to take the reins back over? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- Speaking of Genesis eighteen nineteen, and we th- we think about what God has to say about Abram. Uh, he said, "I know him. I know what he's going to do. I know the kind of leader he's going to be in the family." This not only hits on Abram's relationship with his family, but also his relationship with God. The term "know" here is translated in various ways in the Old Testament, but at one point, it's the word that's translated "familiar friend." In other words, the one that I truly know. This is actually the passage that is the springboard for the other statements in Scripture that look back to Abram being called the friend of God. Second Chronicles 20, verse 7, Isaiah 41, 8, James 2, 23. Abram's called the friend of God because God knew he could count on Abram. This man that had so many flaws, so many mistakes. And by the way, this is Genesis 18. In Genesis 20, he's going to put his wife into another man's harem again. He's still got some mistakes that lay ahead in his future. Yet God says, I know this man, and he's ultimately going to be the one that will teach his family. So if Abram, with all of his mistakes, all of his flaws, could be the father of the faithful, if he could be the friend of God, yes, his track record was one that was about as soiled as a dirt road on a rainy day. But if he could be the friend of God, what about a dad today? Uh, guys, you got any thoughts you'd add to this before we keep moving forward? Man, I just think about um, the honor of being called the friend of God. Um, man, I I would certainly love to 
have that said of me, you know, whenever I go to heaven, be like, Oh, this is, this is my friend, you know? Um, but man, the friend of God, that, that is, that is an amazing honor. And, um, you know, if someone as flawed as, uh, Abraham was, uh, yeah, you know, we, we can, we can do this. We can, we can be faithful. Uh, we can put our faith in, in God. Yeah. It gives us hope. Um, I mean, that's, you know, the friend of God, that's right up there with Enoch, you know, walking with God. That's, that's what we want to hear. That's what, uh, I know we want to be, we want to be called that as well, hopefully, uh, with the way we live our lives. So just a couple of thoughts to draw off of our discussion of Abraham. Dads, don't be afraid of being wrong. Don't be afraid of admitting if you've been wrong. Just like Abraham, we can trust God and we can ultimately get right. And no, getting right might not happen overnight. There are probably going to be things that we learn that we need to change, ways that we can improve. But if Abraham can be the father of the faithful and the friend of God, then there's hope for us all. Something else we want to do this season is discuss some tough topics. We're talking about dads stepping up to the challenge, and there are some tough questions that dads might face. For instance, here are just a few that we'll try to hit in this episode. Uh, the, the child comes to you and says, Dad, before you became a Christian, what did you do, and was it fun? How do you answer this one? Well, um, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian home, um, but uh, I certainly uh, did not live uh, the lifestyle completely. Um, I think that just personally, the way I would answer this question is, you know, well, yeah, you know, before I became a Christian, yeah, I, I did some things that were wrong. Uh, was it fun? Um, you know, at the time, I thought it was. Mm-hmm. But looking back, it sickens me to think about this and, and, you know, uh, it, it's not fun. It's not good. And so I would, I would, you know, look back on, on my life with, with great regret. And yeah. I don't want you to have that regret. Yeah. I think we have to be totally honest with them. Uh, obviously don't go into graphic details, but we need to be right. totally honest and talk about the passing pleasures of sin. Hebrews, uh, 11 verse 25, I think it is. Um, we need to explain that. Yeah. You know, sometimes sin is quote unquote fun, if you will. But then we can say, you know, looking back, I see all these negative consequences of the sin that, you know, it caused a lot of heartache in my life. And and I wish I had not done those things and, and talk about how, you know, we all sin and that's why we need the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, we can talk about, you know, Romans chapter six, you know, grace is not a license to live in sin. We need to avoid sin and uh, we need to be, you know, as we grow in Christ, we should be sinning less and less. And so I think we need to talk about sin. We need to say, look, you know, I've done plenty of things I should not have done in my past. But let me tell you, much better life to lead is one where you're you're not sinning. You know, one of one of my goals as a dad from the time that first learned that we had our first child on the way was to see to it that my child turned out to be a better person than me, which at that time was not a high bar. Uh, Those things being said, uh, when that kind of question is asked, it depends on the child's age as to how specific we might get in answering those questions, because there may be times when. 
some of the details may be more pertinent. And then there are times when some of those graphic details never need to be shared. And some of those regrets never need to be uh, categorized too specifically. But yes, the focus on the fact that, hey, we need Christ and we can be better. And just because I once thought that was fun doesn't mean that it still is. Uh, doesn't mean that it really ever was. All right. So another question that can come up, dad, what are some things you wish you never did? Well, again, I, I think this piggybacks on what we just talked about. And I think you talk about how, again, you know, all of us have sinned. All of us have regrets, things that we wish we had never done. And maybe not even give a very specific list, but maybe broad generalities I, I might would advise um, and, and really I would focus on, you know, these are some negative consequences that have happened in my life because of various different sins that I have committed. And so you will do well to avoid those things and avoid the negative consequences that come with them. Yeah. I, so I thought about this. I've actually had this, you know, happen to some degree with me and, and my kids and they ask a question and I'll, I'll just say, listen, um, uh, you know, look out of respect for me, you know, I want you to respect me and I've done some unrespectable things. And, um, so I, I can't really comment on this, you know, I'm just being upfront, you know, um, but at the same time, you know, there are some things where you might, you know, tell them, yeah, okay. Yeah. I got, I got in a couple of fights or something, you know, um, you might tell them that you might explain some things along with that. Uh, you might use that as a lesson, but I'm sure, um, everybody has done something that they're so ashamed of that, um, bringing it up is going to be hurtful to not only you, but to your relationship with your children. And so, um, you know, I would, I would, you know, definitely not discuss every, every detail, like, like what yeah. we've already talked about, you know, but, um, yeah, I think it's very important to hold that respectful role in your home. Yeah. You don't want to pour salt on, on old wounds. Um, and that can definitely factor into this. And I think we also need to focus on the forgiveness that is available and definitely teach that to them when it comes to our past sins as well. Something else that comes into play there is, uh, and, and something we've seen with Abraham was the man changed. He grew and he changed. And there's a great lesson to learn in seeing the change that takes place in a person as this person grows closer to God. Um, and there's also a great lesson to learn in seeing how much this person had to change to be right. And, you know, if I'll, if I as a child will make wiser decisions, the decisions that mom and dad learned the hard way, I, I won't have to face as much heartache. Uh, you know, we, we've kind of addressed these questions from the perspective of immoral living. What about from the perspective of false religion? You know, Dad, before you became a Christian, what was your religion? Uh, and was that fun? H how do we address that one? Yeah, That's so, a tough one. It, I mean, yeah, like, but that again, um, man, you need to put that away. So you you say, look, um at the time, just like Paul said, uh, I was living in all good conscience during that time, but man, I was so wrong and I didn't know it. And, and so 
just like Paul did. I would say that I'm like, I, I live, I've lived in good conscience during that time, but I thought I was doing the right thing and I really wasn't. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah, I don't think we could add anything to that. Well done. All right, one more. Dad, have you ever loved any woman other than mom? How do you answer that one? Whoa. Um, yeah, go so, ahead. Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I guess you could maybe uh, try to sidestep that question and be like, well, what, how do you define love? You know, because <laughs> uh, there's, there's the general sense of love. Um, but they're probably asking about a romantic kind of love. And so I don't know that there's any avoiding how you answer that. But um, if it is a romantic kind of love um, and, you know, if maybe there was some sin involved in in so doing. Um, if children are in their late teens, I think it might be prudent to go through uh, a routine of, again, explaining some past hurts, past consequences of those romantic style sins, I guess we can say it that way, but, um, you know, you could talk about regret, you know, um, I did love someone before your mom and I have so much regret because I have so much true love for your, your mother. Now, I wish I had not given my heart to someone else. So I guess you could explain it that way. Um, if they're younger, if they're not in their late teens, I probably would probably dodge the question, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I, I think that, um, uh, even maybe even, uh, younger teenagers that are, you know, looking at, uh, um, relationships, uh, explaining some of that hurt and saying, you know, I, I did, um, I was in a relationship with somebody before and you don't even have to get specific, but, uh, we've even uh, talked about this with, with our kids to a little bit of a degree. And I, I've got a 13 and, um, you know, uh, or 12 year old almost, and then a almost 15 year old. And so, um, you know, I, I've talked to our oldest a little bit and said, you know, um, it is best not to get into relationship until you're like 18 um, because things just change so much. And, um, and so I, I explained that because like, listen, and I've, I've explained this too. It's like you, you kind of give a little piece of yourself away when you're doing this. Mm -hmm. And, and then like, if you are um, going and like, you're going to have new experiences, it doesn't have to be sinful, just new experiences. And you're sharing that with somebody that ultimately is not going to be your spouse. What? And, um, you know, and uh, there, there's a lot of things that I look back on and go, man, I wish, you know, like we go and do something. It is so much fun. And I go, mm, yeah, I remember when I did this with somebody else, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, he- uh, yeah. Even, even if there's if there's sin not involved, you're still giving, you know, a, a deep emotional part right. of your your being to somebody else. And then, you know, you live with that as a regret when you actually meet your, your spouse. And I think you can mention Song of Solomon where it talks about do not awaken love uh, until the time is appropriate. Right. That's mm-hmm. a big verse that you can teach young people and, and that would help them as as well, I think. Well, let me and let me give an example of this uh, so that we're not being vague here. Um, one of the things that I really like doing is I like kayaking. And um, uh, uh, one of my favorite days ever um, has been kayaking with my wife. We just got, you know, uh, this trip where there's a bunch of other people going. We just kind of hung out the back of the pack and just kayak 
down down this river in Missouri, and it was fun. It was fun. One of my favorite days. Uh, she enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, and then I go, you know, this is not the first time I've kayaked with a significant other. You know, uh, I've done this before, once before. Uh, only person I had convinced to ever do it. So you know that I've, I've you know did that. Uh, I go kayaking sometimes with my family and friends. Um, have enjoyed it uh, a lot. Um, but that's an experience that, like, even that, it's like, uh, I kind of wish I'd just never done it with that person because I have so much fun with my my wife, my kids now. Like, I just wish I'd never even did that. So, I mean, that's a simple, innocent thing. Um, but some things go much deeper than that. And, of course, when you're talking about sinful things, that's going to really hurt. I mean, if I'm thinking about kayaking think about if somebody has uh, done something that they shouldn't have yeah yeah when you get into the realm of the sinful things that there better be regret uh there better be remorse uh one of the things to consider is when they come and ask that question have you ever loved anyone other than mom uh not like i love your mother Right. Uh, that's that's never been the case. Even when I was young and thought I knew what love was uh, right. and had an interest and, and maybe even a strong friendship connection with someone, uh, it wasn't the love like I have for your mother. Uh, right. uh, I've never known that before. Uh, and let's face it, guys, when we talk about the love between a husband and wife, that should be growing every day. But uh, so when they come and they ask that question, you know, it's one thing to acknowledge uh, there's a growth process, especially in those formative years when we're getting to the age that we are interested in uh, finding a spouse, finding a mate. And yeah, there, there can be a search involved in that. And there there does have to be a certain level of my heart's open to the possibility with one person. Oh, well, this didn't work out. And sin doesn't have to be involved when it is. We understand that that shouldn't be the case. There needs to be repentance. But even at that, it's a matter of uh, learning how to interact with others and really learning what romantic love is and how it operates. Because uh, a, a young man and a young woman can indeed share a friendship and have a strong interest in one another and be honest enough with one another to realize that they're not compatible as a husband and wife and still learn from their relationship in order to make each of them better for when they do meet the companion with whom they will be compatible. So uh, there are a lot of things that can be shared, uh, but provided that we keep it on the level of, you know, uh, once I say I do, I'm done. Uh, yeah. And no, I've never loved anyone like I love your mother. There may have been uh, other interests, but no, nothing like that. Um yeah. Guys, uh, we want to do one more thing before we close out our episodes this season. Uh, we've got a, a section titled Finding the Fun. Uh, we just want to look at some some ideas that will he- help keep a family engaged in family Bible time by making it fun. Uh, Matt, what do you have this this episode? All right. Well, um, this is one that um, I like doing right now. Um, and it's not like it's kind of vanilla, I guess, you know, but um, uh, because it doesn't take a lot of effort. But going to GBN and uh, I like uh, what Evan Diaz has done with the drawn toward God. If you've not watched those, they're very informative. They're very down to earth and your kids can uh, understand them. And so uh, I like that. I really have enjoyed that. And there's some other things on there, too. We'll mention later, I'm sure. But that's a good one. 
Okay, Chase. Digger dogs underground. <laughs> my kid, my kids love that one. Um, Wait, do we have that. to uh, reference Caleb Calling in the show notes now? Probably. I, don't probably. Know. I think so. Um, but yeah, the, my kids love that one. Uh, Apologetics Press produces that. Uh, you can find them on YouTube. I think there's a, a season or two, maybe thirty or something episodes, and they're about thirty minutes. Uh, sometimes when when I've really had just a, a day and I just don't have a lot of energy. We'll uh we'll pop one of those on and, and they'll watch that. It's got a lot of Christian evidences kind of teaching. And then we'll we'll have a family prayer and that'll be it. You know, all right, time to brush teeth and get ready for bed. So uh, they really enjoy that one. And I've uh, got some some other ideas I'll share uh, later in the season as well. All right. And uh, one thing that our family has particularly enjoyed, especially uh, when we talk about themed nights, uh, a different study of on a different night of the week, uh, Friday fun night was always a blast. Um, uh, maybe have a board set up on the table, use a monopoly board, but let the questions come from the Bible and what's been studied, maybe memory verses or chapters that have been covered. And, uh, so there's a little bit of competition in it, not in terms of any kind of self glory, but just fun game. Uh, and that's something they always enjoyed. Um, so, uh, we can make it fun in various ways. We'll continue to talk about some of those things as the season moves forward. Guys, anything else you would add from what we've discussed today? No, I think uh, we've had a good good uh, lesson today anyway. All right. Well, uh, and I have enjoyed all but about eight minutes of it when I was somewhere <laughs> else, uh, but the aliens brought me back. Uh, <laughs> but that is all the time we've got for this month. Uh, and for those that are listening, we hope you'll join us again next month. We're going to keep keep talking about where are all the godly men. And the next focus is going to be on a fellow named Joshua. Be strong and of good courage. Until then, thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.